Hello again, it's Ken Drews, and you're listening to Ken Drews Real Dirt. You know, some people think that the garden is asleep in winter, or maybe even dead in winter, but if you look around, and if you look closely, and if you plant for winter interest, you can really have a 12-season garden. And today's guest, Marco Polo Stefano, formerly of Wave Hill in the Bronx, New York, is going to tell us about some of the beautiful things that are in his garden right now in winter. Stay with us. Clem Song Sparrow Farm and Nursery grows extraordinary herbaceous perennials, uncommon trees and shrubs, and a selection of luxurious peonies. Song Sparrow Nursery is a proud underwriter of Kendrew's Real Dirt. Songsparrow.com, S-O-N-G-S-P-A-R-R-O-W.com. Underwriting also provided by PlantSkid, deer and rabbit repellent, the first repellent to be listed organic by the Organic Materials Review Institute. PlantSkid is Swedish for plant protection and now comes with a plant protection guarantee. For details, www.plantskid.com, P-L-A-N-T-S-K-Y-D-D. Hello again and welcome. You're listening to Ken Drews, and this is Ken Drews Real Dirt, The Garden Show. And today we are so lucky to have a person who has been called the greatest gardener in America. And that's Marco Polo Stefano, Marco Stefano, who was the director of horticulture for Wave Hill, what was also called one of the most beautiful gardens in America, and that's in the Bronx, New York. You don't think about the Bronx for having beautiful gardens, but... The New York Botanical Garden is in the Bronx, and Wave Hill, which really is a spectacular garden, is in the Bronx and someplace that everybody should visit. If you haven't seen Wave Hill, you still can. Marco's not there, but the garden goes on. And Marco has now moved across the street. He has a, a wonderful garden. It's about 30 by 70 feet. And even at this time of year, the garden in winter, there's so much happening. So I thought I would ask Marco about some of the things that are happening in his garden right now in winter, and he's going to tell us about those things, and and many of them are surprising. There's foliage interest. There's shiny foliage reflecting the low rays of the sun. There's twig and bark interest. There's the cornices, the shrub dogwoods that have incredibly colored uh, bark and twigs, and you cut those back. You cut them back to about six inches every other year. And they shoot up these new canes that have remarkable color and really give it unbelievable, unparalleled interest to the garden in winter. And Marco's using them in quite an unusual way. We're going to hear about that. Uh, Some of the plants that Marco has in pots that give color. There's evergreens. There's broadleaf and needleleaf evergreens. And even some flower buds on some of the plants. Uh, Some members of the Barbary family. And uh, it, it's just, it's really exciting. You think that this is the sleepy time, the dead time. It's not. It's just uh, another time. And perhaps in a small garden especially, and in the winter when we're really looking and looking really hard to find whatever's interesting in the garden, we can find it. It's there. There's always something going on, always something in the garden to see. And Marco's going to share some of his discoveries with us in the interview that I did earlier today. And here we go. I'm speaking with Marco Polo Stefano, former director of horticulture for Wave Hill, the fabulous public garden in the Bronx in New York City, in Riverdale, in the Riverdale section. Hello, Marco. Good morning, Ken. How are you? I am fine, and it is a winter wonderland now. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. Actually, some of the things that we thought I thought we might talk about the other day are all covered with snow out in my garden. Buried. 
And they weren't last week, I guess. No, they weren't. No, because last week what struck me is I went out one 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 day. The sun is low at this time of the year, and it was a really it was a sunny day, and a little bit on the breezy side. And I was struck by how many things are out there. And I have a very small garden, as you know. It's only about thirty feet wide and maybe seventy feet long. Um, but there were all these these uh, most a good many um, evergreen things that will have shiny leaves, and with the low sun, everything is just sort of sparkling and dancing and and really fabulous and I thought boy this is really great to have all of this interest in the garden and things like you know, Prunus laurisiracis, the cherry laurel which I have both in bush form and then espaladate flat on the wall and epimediums uh, you know two of my favorites are Fronlighten and Larchmont, Larchmont being as you know one of Harold Epstein's selections. And these That's plants are completely evergreen for you? Pretty much, those two are, yeah. And Larchmont, you know, gets to be—it's about two feet tall. It's really a big one. Wow. And uh, and Fronlighten, which is really vigorous, has wonderful yellow, uh, um, you know, flowers and fluorescences. So that's you know, two of the things that are out there. Well, how do you spell that last one? <laughs> oh, I knew you were going to ask me. That. <laughs> it's it's a German name, and I think it's F R O E N L E I T E N. Wow. Uh, it's one of those ones that's been around for a long time. I don't know what fronlighten actually means, but it's a good plant. It's one of my favorite epimediums. Um, and then I was noticing also, because Magnolia grandifolia, the southern magnolia, which I actually planted on my neighbors. I, I gave made a gift of it to my next-door neighbor. Clever. <laughs> well, yes, I mean, that's exactly There are like four other plants in that area, and it's all about blocking the view of his house <laughs> from my garden. It's not any particular generosity on my part. Well, that's a good tip, especially if you have a small garden. Oh, yeah. You want a little extra space, and you have a little bit of a, a potential eyesore, or want to just improve your view. Uh, at Cornus Cusa, some years ago, I gifted my the neighbor across the street a Cornus Cusa so that the late afternoon sun didn't hit the side of her white house and reflect up into my garden into my eyes so anyway <laughs> another one of those things that you know foliage things that at this year and through the whole winter is Mahonia japonica um what is the common name you know the, well, the Oregon grape holly right, right. the Japanese, Japanese one. Oregon, right is that blooming and, now for you too uh, it's budded up. It's not blooming yet. It'll probably bloom later on. And sometimes, I mean, last year, for instance, I think it was in full bloom. Yeah, it's fragrant. It's great. And it's fruited. It's big, big, heavy blueberries. Um, but sometimes they blast. Sometimes if the weather's bad, they, they, they don't. Um, and it's pretty, I have it in a pre fairly protected place. So, uh, it looks good through the whole winter. And those so leaves that, look like giant holly. That's why they call it yeah. grape holly. Right, exactly. But it's kind of it's not particularly pleasant thing to weed nearby because it has a tendency <laughs> to scratch you to pieces. But I, I love it anyway. It's, a, it's you know it's a great plant for getting kind of a, a tropical look in your garden. Um, although it's at least here in the New York area is perfectly hardy. Um, another one that I like very much through the winter fourth foliage is Akuba, um, Akuba japonica. Now what, what common name is that? I'm not quite sure what Akuba is. But it's much maligned. I think people don't like it. They sort of uh, recoil at the thought of it. But I think there are a couple of really good ones. One called Sulphur that has a good big yellow blotch right in the middle of the leaf. And Mr. Gold Strike, which is um, just sort of splattered. The leaves are splattered with, with, with gold. And they're good plants. And the thing about Akuba is, you know, is that 
you know, you can grow it anywhere. You can grow it in the bottom of a light well in New York City. It yeah. doesn't seems not to need any uh, particular sun, and uh, it takes tough, tough conditions. Yeah. Um, I don't know. It's one of, of those others. things that uh, familiar, familiarity breeds contempt. I think they're just I think so. too easy. Yeah, yeah, I think so. No, because I've actually suggested it to people, and they just sort of curl up their lip, and I think you're missing out on a good plan. Mm -hmm. you know? um, I remember years ago, my mentor, T.H. Everett, who was the head of horticulture at the New York Botanical Garden, said you mustn't be a plant snob. It's, you know, most all plants have have a use somewhere in the garden that they all have their uses. I have a couple that I think I'm not quite sure have any uses. But red, <laughs> red, red salvia and gladiolus, I have a little trouble with both of those, other than species gladiolus. Um, and still others. I mean, again, in this small garden, I was struck about how many things I have out there. Mandina, which is just about hardy here. I have both one called Gulf Stream, which is about four feet tall, bright red berries, five feet tall. And a white, a white fruited clone of uh, Nandina, and I, over at Wave Hill, which is right across the street here, um, they have one called Harbor Dwarf, and I love it. It's a ground cover. It's only about two feet tall, less than that, probably about a foot and a half tall. I don't know that it fruits, um, but it makes a great, lush ground cover. And they have it out in the total. It's out in front of the visitor center where it's totally exposed, the southern exposure. The wind whips off the river and does really well. And that one, we oh. know the common name. That's Heavenly Bamboo, and it's not a bamboo. And it's not a bamboo, exactly. We don't have what to worry it? about it's it. It's actually in the barberry family, I think, if I remember right. Well, you've mentioned Mahonia and Epimedium, and those are barberry family plants, too. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, of course, the tricky way, the easy way to figure out whether something is in the barberry family is you only have to do is take your fingernail and scrape off some of the... Uh, bark, the outer layer, and if it's bright yellow, chances are it's a bulberry. Hmm. Um, Sharka I'm not quite sure. I think that's in its own family, but uh, that's another one out there in the garden that I like. And, and one that I got from Dan Hinckley years ago, Sarkakaka orientalis, oriental sarkakaka, um, always surprises me. Every year, it, it, it's, about, well, it's about two feet tall. It would get taller if I try to keep it cut back. Um, in late November, early December, it comes into full bloom with tiny little flowers along the stems. They're not much to look at, but boy, are they fragrant. You can smell them from, you pick up the fragrance from, you know, 20 feet off wow. uh, on some afternoons. It's a, it's a beauty. It's really wonderful. And interestingly, although at the time that Dan was selling it, I think he was saying it was in a woody, daftly hardy in the New York area, uh, I, uh, put it in, and, I've, and it's been fun, and I've gotten a couple of self-sown seedlings out of it, so, which is what's happening with my cyclamen, another thing that's looking great out there right now, beautiful foliage, and the hellebores through the winter. So, it's, you know, lots of good stuff uh, that is good all winter, basically. Well, really late in the winter, maybe very late in the winter, some of them don't look so great, but uh, for a long time they are. Well, by the time that they don't look so great, there's bulbs coming up and plenty of other things to look at. Well, actually, that's true. And that actually, at the at the, I was going to mention that sort of at the end of our little session here because well, you still we, can, you still can. Okay, all right, I will. No, that's all right. We'll do that. I'm speaking with Marco Polo Stefano, who is the former director of horticulture at Wave Hill for Wave Hill, the beautiful 
Public Garden in the Bronx, New York, and you're listening to Kendra's Real Dirt, The Garden Show, and we'll be right back. Plant Skid Animal Repellent is a proud underwriter of Kendrew's Real Dirt. Developed for the forestry industry over 20 years ago, no other product has been so extensively tested for long-term efficacy. For details, www.plantskid.com. P-L-A-N-T-S-K-Y-D-D. Clem's Song Sparrow Farm and Nursery grows extraordinary herbaceous perennials, uncommon trees and shrubs, and a selection of luxurious peonies. Song Sparrow Nursery is a proud underwriter of Kendrew's Real Dirt. Songsparrow.com, S-O-N-G-S-P-A-R-R-O-W.com. This is Ken Drews. You're listening to Ken Drews Real Dirt, The Garden Show. And I'm speaking with Marco Polo Stefano, former director of horticulture at Wave Hill, the fantastic public garden in the Bronx, New York, which I hope everyone has visited. And if you haven't, put that on your list. It's a place to go and visit. And Marco, you were there for, well, what, 30 years or so? 30, 34 years forever. It was a wonderful, I was a lucky man to have uh, a great place to garden and a great staff to garden with. Um, so so many years. Well, you had 28 um, acres over there, and now across the street you have, well, what did you say, a 50 by 70 foot garden? 30 by 70. 30 and by I love 70. it. I love being small. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, it's uh, and um, you can pack an awful lot of plants in a small garden and keep up the interest, you know, keep up your interest and the interest in the garden that way, and yet have it be not quite low maintenance. It's amazing how how much maintenance even a small garden can take because, well, being a, a Virgo, um, I can get, obs- I, I obsess, and, you know, you start going after the yellow leaves on plants that if you had a bigger garden wouldn't bother you. Right. But, uh, yeah. So, again, the other things that through, the, through this time of the year that I, I enjoy are some of the plants that have interesting and colorful twigs. And one that I, friends of mine from um, Seattle, uh, Glenn Wickey and Charles Price, gave me a, Cornus sanguinea, winter fire. One of the you know the the colorful leaves, colorful twigs that is, uh, stemmed dogwoods, shrubby dogwoods. Winter fire is particularly wonderful. It's you know it's not bright red. It's sort of peachy apricotty. I don't know. It's it's absolutely wonderful. And when the sun hits it in the winter time, we had a nice big patch of it over it over at Wave Hill. You just simply want to go over and sort of warm your hands next to this thing. It sort of emanates. <laughs> what seems to be heat. Also over at Wave Hill, we had a form of the more common Cornus alba, uh, one called Westenbert, which we brought back cuttings from England years ago. And I still think it's it's sort of the the brightest red of any of the Cornus that, that I know. Do you know, how, is Cardinal a bright red one? Yeah, but did you say Westenberg? Westenbert, W-E-S-T-O-N-B-I-R-T. There's a Westenbert Arboretum oh. uh, in, in England. I guess that's where it was first uh, found. But other things like you know, Cornus Cusa, just a big old, I have a big old Cornus Cusa, which I inherited when I bought this place. Uh, in my garden, and that when when it gets old enough, it gets that wonderful sort of um, uh, bark that's all flaky and and a little bit like World War II camouflage, right, really right. quite handsome. Yeah. So, and um, you, what about those salixes, the willows with the bright colored twigs right, too? Right, right, right. I haven't got those. Yeah, I've got it. Actually, what's happened with my Cornus sanguinea winter fire? I'm doing a little. I had it in the garden actually. 
And it's one of those things that you use as a cutback shrub, you know, where you cut it back every year and it sends up maybe three, four feet of growth, of new growth that's the most colorful. But then with that cornice, I'd cut it back in early or late, early spring, and it would take really a good part of the season, in mid-summer, before it even has any twigs and, and looks like something. Otherwise, it's a sort of this ugly stump. With a small garden, I decided I couldn't really devote that much space to it. So what I've done is I've taken it, and I'm growing it in a container. Um, and I don't see any reason why that's not going to work, so that it can be off somewhere um, where it's not prominent while it's growing. And then in the winter months, I can bring it and put it right outside the, the windows of my living room where I'll, I'll enjoy it all season. That's great. That's a great idea. I don't see that. I mean, it's, you know, it should work. We'll see. We'll see. It'll work for a couple of years, and then you could start another small plant. If you need well, to. exactly. You know, they, they, uh, you know, they propagate easily enough. But, uh, you know, I have this, uh, the, the tool shed in my garden, and that's where I winter some things that um, I grow in pots and containers that are not quite hardy, like the hydrangea macrophyllas, the big mop head. Um, I don't mean mop head. Yes, they do mean yeah. mop head hydrangeas. So I put some of those in there, and I was packing them away the other day. Uh, also, I've, in the last couple of years, sort of developed a small collection of Japanese maples, and I was a little worried about some of those not being quite root hardy. So I put some of those in there. And then this year, I, I decided that well, if I just sunk some of those containers of Japanese maples in my shredded leaf pile, this year's fallen oak leaves, that I might have this little lower back thing that's done a nice job of shredding. And I think that'll be fine, just so that the uh, roots are, are somewhat uh, protected for the winter months. And what, on the ca- what kind of pots are these in? They're mostly those are all plastic. Uh-huh. I mean, I'm, I've gone. They, you know, terracotta. They, t- terracotta plastic pots have gotten so good that, especially if you kind of doctor them up a little bit with some white paint and some green paint and sort of do a slight wash over them, they look like they've collected some time and, and moss and what have you. Right. Uh, but I, you know, big pots. Don't get too old to carry around big pots. <laughs> So if the more things that I can grow in those pots, the better off it is. And also, I have you know a certain number of things at my front door. I have a few um, camisipris, like camisipris rheingold, that nice gold one, that um, I leave out there all year. So those things are in either five in plastic, or I do have a couple, few things in fiberglass. Uh, if you look around, some of the actually one of the box stores was selling. Um, some nice fiberglass pots that were not terribly expensive. I mean, fiberglass can get pretty pricey, but it is good. It is wonderful. So also at the front door, in a pot, I have a Juniperus Blue Pacific, which is you know a nice blue, low-growing one, spiny one that stays blue all and it is blue all winter and some obviously through the whole year. Um, and I've surrounded. It's in a rust-colored. Um, five, that's a fiberglass pot that looks like it's rusted metal. And I surrounded the base of it with a collar of the Ryope Black Knight. So it's a nice combination, mm-hmm. and all those things stay. The Black Knight is still quite good in the in the spring, by spring. In fact, I've taken them not cutting that back. Most of the Liriopes, you know, I, I will cut back in early spring. In fact, right across from that little arrangement at the front door is, I have a... Um, Ilex Sky Pencil planted 
sort of as an exclamation point right out the door. And then at its base, I've planted variegated liriope, which looks good all winter. But then that one does, by the end of winter, is beaten up, and I, I cut it back. But, uh, also, the similar to the Ilex sky pencil, at the corner of the house, which is 10 or 15 feet away from the front door, I put in three um, Buxus Graham Blandy, the, you know, the, up, the upright sure, sure. box. I put three of them right close to each other because, and then it's beginning to happen. I want them all to grow together so that it becomes one great big uh, vertical at the at the corner. Um, and it's happening. So this time. So they're not in a row like a hedge. They're in a no, 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 no. Cluster. They're, they're cluster. You know, there's one right at the corner of the house, and and one on other, either side of it, down the side. You know, the the respective sides of the house, maybe a foot and a half away from the first one, maybe even a foot. They're really pushed in on each other because that's the idea, is to just mm -hmm. make them be one big, big um, mound. Column. column, really. Yeah, not a mound, a column, exactly. So, you know, then it extends. The interest goes across the driveway uh, uh, at my front door to some other barrier planting I've put between me and my that neighbor. And, uh, and then for winter interest, I mean, Thuya plicata, which is such a good Thuya. I've got two golden forms of that, the cupria, and another one called Canada Gold, which I think I actually favor. Um, and they, you know, are quite nice through the winter months. And Cryptomeria Yoshino, one of the crypt Japanese cryptomerias that's an upright, fairly tight upright. Um, does that Viburnum. change color in in the winter? The well, it supposedly doesn't. It supposedly you know doesn't turn the awful brown, but I think it does a bit. And, you know, it's not as bad as some of the others. Uh, but then maybe one would like the brown. You yeah. probably could right. use it somewhere or other. A couple of hollies, uh, Nellie Stevens, which normally fruits heavily for some reason or other this year. It hasn't fruited at all. Actually, I do know why it didn't fruit. I think it probably didn't fruit because last year, last winter was really tough on the hollies and they got yeah. a terrible burn. I'd cut it back really hard, so I guess maybe that's what it didn't ever have flowering wood this year. Ponsiris, the hardy, hardy orange, little Ponsiris, which is interesting in the winter because it has those beastly thorns on it. Mm -hmm. Another plant you don't really want to weed around. <laughs> um, and did I say already the viburnums? Viburnum you started to. I interrupted you. you know, Viburnum retitophyllum, the little leaf viburnum, uh, two favorite ones that I have are which has a willow wood that narrower leaves and those are good I mean other than other than when it's really cold I mean right now it's 22 or something and they're all curled up and not looking that great but most of the a good part of the winter they can look quite handsome and it's actually that's that's a good one because it's uh, as I say I'm using this as a barrier planting and uh, it's a fairly inexpensive plant to use rather than going to all conifers and then one that was new to me last year was Allegheny. I'm, I'm sure you're familiar with it. Mm. Uh, Matt has a tendency in the winter to turn, retain its leaves, as the other ones do. But then the leaves turn um, deep, deep purple. It's right. really inky purple. It's just so handsome. Really great. And before you were talking about how the bulbs will be following all this exactly. fantastic color. Well, the other day, again, when I was out, when we first talked about doing this, I was out looking, and lo and behold, there were some galanthus that are, you know, they're, they're an inch and a half out of the ground, uh, and so there's hope. <laughs> there is light at the end of the tunnel once again. So, well, I yeah, garden, garden can be quite wonderful in the wintertime. I mean, you have to, sometimes you have to uh, 
focus a little bit closer. It is, uh, I have some Berberus juliana outside the bathroom window at the back of the house, and the other day I noticed how they retain um, they're basically evergreen, but some of the some of the leaves will turn bright red, and it's just little flicks of red here and there. So look a little closer and enjoy the garden in winter. That's the thing about having a smaller garden. You're almost forced to look closer. You know, when you're deadheading or when you're taking off those yellow leaves, you, you get to enjoy things slower and closer. Absolutely. And, Absolutely. Uh, and you've given us some wonderful ideas of things for the winter because, as you know, the garden really... It's never dead, really. That's right. No, it's not. And I thank you so much for speaking with me today, Marco. Marco Polo Stefano, former director of horticulture at Wave Hill, the beautiful garden in the Bronx in New York, and I hope we get to talk again soon. My pleasure to talk with you, Ken. Great. Bye-bye Thank now. you. Bye. I was speaking with Marco Polo Stefano, the former director of horticulture at Wave Hill, the public garden in the Bronx, New York, and we were talking about things that you can see now in gardens, and if you can't see them in your gardens, they may be some of the things you want to bring to your gardens. Now, Marco's Garden is in New York City. It's in the Bronx, New York, and it's close to the Hudson, so it's a little bit protected. I'd say that's kind of a Zone 7-6 garden, but uh, wherever you live around the country, you can have things like twigs for color, some foliage for color, bark on trees, and soon there'll be flowers, too. And tune in next week for another edition of Kendra's Real Dirt, The Garden Show.